we, so we live in this world that basically uh, there is this constant pressure upon us of, of time. I think like uh, this idea of like, of like even having dreams about these things that we are unprepared for speaks to the fact that we know that we don't really have like as much time as we want. We know on a given day, it's like it's going too quickly so much of the time. Where did this day go, right? We know in even a year of our life, like, man, this year flew by. Or there are seasons of life where you go, I thought I was just getting into this, and now I feel like, you know, where did all that time go? But one of the things, especially as you live more of life and you get older, not just because there's less time in front of you, but because hopefully with age comes wisdom, and part of wisdom is recognizing that, like, you, you recognize that you don't have as much time as you thought you did, maybe. The time is so valuable. Uh, we are, live in a society that is very, very rushed. Things move at a very quick pace. And I'm not necessarily, like, against that. I think that there's obviously tremendous benefit to, like, the advances that we've made and the accessibility of things. But it is true that, like, I can get my phone out. I can buy stuff on my phone whenever I want. There's a lot of bad, bad about that. But, uh, but it's also good when you're planning a tent service and you realize, oh, we need this thing. And if I don't get it right now, I'm going to forget about it, right? And yet, we're moving so quickly because of this that I think we all are aware in some level that time is really, really important to us. In fact, the more time that I spend with people, working with people, the more I realize that there's this sort of fallacy that we believe, which is that money is the way that you can kind of tell where someone's heart is. Um, I feel like we've talked that way a lot in the church. You know, we say, we used to say back when there were checkbooks, we used to say, you know, if you want to know where someone's heart is, you know, look at their checkbook. Um, That kind of says where your heart is because you're not supposed to be looking in people's checkbooks, I guess. So anyway, um, but seriously, uh, don't do that. Um, you know, the idea that like, no, it's where our money goes. It's where our bank account is. It's, it's the things that we spend our money on, our resources on, our materials, like the materialism and those things in our lives. That speaks to where our security and our, and our, and our, and our biggest care is. But I think, honestly, the more time I get to know people, the more time I spend with people, I realize I think that it's time. I think that even more than money, it's the way that we use our time. It's the way that we choose to invest our time. Some of us realize that at some point in life, we go, I could you know, potentially, theoretically make more money if I needed to, but I can't make more time. What have I been doing with the time that I've been given? Do I feel good about that? And some of us know what it feels like to get to a point in life and to say, I regret maybe having wasted a lot of time in my life in in some way. I think that time matters a lot to us. And I think if we start talking about this idea of loving people, what it means to love people, which is what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. As we stop as a church and we say, what does it look like for us to reevaluate the most important uh, basic priorities that we have as a group of people. As our families are going through some crazy times right now, we say, let's stop and let's kind of reevaluate what's most important here for us. We ask the question of what does it mean to love each other well? And as we ask that question, we have to take into account time. And when you ask the question of what does it look like to love people in a world when it seems, in a life when it seems like I just don't have enough time for everyone, for everything, what do I do? And that's where the verse that we're looking at this morning comes in. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and it simply says this, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Patience speaks to the relationship between love and and time. 
What that means is that the Bible's answer to how we deal with this is we should be patient with one another. We should take more time than we want to, or better yet, we should allow other people in our lives to take up more time than we're going to want to. Patience is the first thing that is hit. Why is love patient? Because of who God is, because of what the Bible tells us about God himself. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He tells them about a parable about a rich master who uh, lets a servant borrow a great sum of money, and uh, he goes to collect, and the servant can't pay him back. So he throws him in jail, and he says, I'm going to sell your family that's rough. He says, I'm going to sell your family and I'm going to make money and then I'm going to use that to pay off the debt. And the man says to him, he says, please be patient with me. I'll pay you back later. Give me more time to pay you back. And so the master says, okay, fine. And then biggest hypocrite of all time, he goes, he finds his servant who owes him money, throws him in jail and he says, like, you owe me money. And the servant says the same thing to him. He says, please be patient with me. And the guy says, nope right? And then his life gets very bad from that point on. Why is Jesus telling that story? Because like many other parables, the point is very simple. Why are we patient? Because someone's been patient with us. That's why. So the Christian response to a lot of these questions of like, why should I do this thing? Why should I be this way? Why should I act this way? One of the mistakes that we make is we say, oh, it's because if I'm, if I'm good enough, then God will love me. If I'm good enough, then God will uh, be impressed by my, my efforts and the things that I do. Or um, something that we tend to do is that we say, if I do the right things, the God things, then it will accomplish things in my life, right? Uh, it's true that you can take all of these characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and you could say, if you live that way, your life will go better. Your life will be better. So why should you be patient? Why should you be kind? Because you're gonna look back and go, man, that led to a much better outcome with people and in this life than if I had not chosen to be that way. The problem is, if you look at the world around us, around you, you realize there's a lot of people out there who are not patient and not kind who seem to be doing pretty well in life. And you also realize that what the Bible actually says, what Jesus actually teaches his disciples, is that it is God setting the example for us of patience. He says, you are someone who there has been great patience shown to you. And so the response of that is you should love one another in the same way. This is why God showed in his relationship with his people, the Israelites, how uh, they are to be, how we are to be with one another. All we do is we look and we say, was God patient with me? The, the idea is that, we're, is that we're motivated by the love of God and not necessarily by some other obligation that we have. And so the reason that we're patient is because God is. Now, I, I know that as we go through this thing in 1 Corinthians, there's gonna be points where, like when any one of the things that we talk about, you're gonna go, you're gonna think about people that you know who are better at these things than others, right? You know, most of you, as we hit all of them, are gonna think about me, and you're gonna be like, it's like the only person I know who embodies all these, Ellie's like rolling her eyes so hard, she like her whole, her whole head is rolling. Um, no, she wasn't listening, she's asleep. Um, <laughs> um, the, uh, the, 
you, you naturally start to think like, oh, I know, I know this person, they're patient. I know this person, they're patient. This person's kind, this person does this thing, they're forgiving, whatever. And, and that's what I think about with this. But, but here's the thing, is that when it comes to something like patience, which when you translate it in the Greek, it means, it means, uh, it means perseverance, it means to continue going when things get difficult. Patience only actually is happening when it gets hard for someone. So that means that the people that it seems like it's a natural thing for them, it's easy for them, you're not necessarily watching someone show patience. Because the thing is, we can be patient about all kinds of things without being patient people, right? If you were to say to me, Ed, I've got, I've got some news for you, like this, this brisket is gonna take like 12 hours on a smoker, and I'd be like, you know what? I think, I'm gonna, I think I can do it. I think that I can be a loving, patient person, and I can sit there for 12 hours and keep an eye on that thing while it's in the smoker, because I'm a patient person. And if Ellie came outside and was like, why have you literally done nothing for the last 12 hours? I'd be like, I've got to watch this thing, you know? That's why I don't buy one of those fancy, one of those fancy ones, because you don't have to watch it. I'm like, no, I've got to, I'm gonna be patient, I'm patient, right? I, we took our kids camping this summer for a couple of days, and uh, we went fishing, and we get out in the boat, we get all the stuff, and you know, we start fishing, and seven minutes into fishing, Tegan goes, this is boring, there's no fish. <laughs> and I was like, well, what do you want me to say, you know? They're going to be here, though. And, and, and he goes, Dad, this is so boring. I was like, and I said, Tegan, like, this is the fun of fishing, you know, like sitting here and doing nothing. He's like, that sounds great, right? Um, I mean, he honestly thought it was just going to be a matter of like, whoa, here they come, okay? Um, and I'm like, Tegan, they're down there. We just got to wait for them. We got to get better at fishing. We got to get them. Because the thing is, I can sit in a boat for like 10 hours and get no bites, which I never do, and catch no fish, which I never do, and just be totally happy. I am I'm happy. I'm willing to be patient in that situation. And my son is losing his mind, and he's like honestly ready to jump out of the boat and just swim for shore. If he wasn't lazy, he would just do that. Uh, then we get back to our campsite, and my kids start hunting for ground squirrels is what they call it, okay? They just are like, oh, we're gonna catch ground squirrels. And then they become obsessed with this. Now, if you're an animal and you wanna live a long life, just hope that my kids start hunting you because like, they're the worst. So like everywhere that we went on this little lake, every time we found a new beach or we went to a little spot where there were some people or just have lunch somewhere, a picnic table or whatever, my kids just went and tried to find ground squirrels. They went and found the holes and they tried to get them and they were terrible at it. They would, like hours they would spend doing this and I'm just like, there is so much stuff to do here. They don't care about it, right? We, we, we went back to our campsite and we would be hanging out there all they want to do is hunt ground squirrels. And I'm like, look, there's a fire. Do you want to play with fire? You can play with fire, you know? And they're like, no, ground squirrels, that's fine. That's all we want to do. And I'm like, guys, this is ridiculous. And, uh, and, and they're, they're like terrible at it. At one point, like, I mean, at least at one point, you know, my son like just wandered away and got freaked out and was like crying at some other campsite and we had to come find him because he just was chasing squirrels and didn't realize what he was doing because that's all they wanted to do the whole time. And we kept having these fights with them like these really bad fights where it was like, and if you have kids, you like don't know what this is like at all, where you like do something really great with them and then they're just like whining the whole time like it's not good enough. Um, and we're just like, look at what we did. Look at where we are. Look at all this stuff. And all you want to do is get mad at me because I'm not letting you hunt ground squirrels. You're never going to catch them anyway. And I'm like sitting there and they're so terrible. Like at one point they're, they're in front of a hole, like both of them, and they have a, uh, a stick with a line on the end of it, like a, like, a, like a piece of fishing line they found with a Cheeto on the end of that. And they're like this trying to get it and and here's the best part it's the the ground squirrels behind them like he, he's like he's just sitting there like guys there's more than one hole come on you know and they're just like oh man he's not, no he's not coming he's, we've been watching him for so long right I'm just watching this and I'm like 
this is the biggest waste of the three days that we're here. And, and my son is like looking at me fishing and he's like, that is the biggest waste of three, like you're, you're imprisoning yourself in a little boat that is unreliable and is probably gonna sink. That's way worse than what I'm doing. And this is the way the patience works, right? Like we all have the things that we're like, I am totally fine waiting and, and, and just accepting that it's gonna go slow and that's how it's gonna be, right? But, but that's, that's the thing about what it means to actually persevere is it's not until it actually gets difficult we start to apply the word patience when we don't want to do it, when we don't want that to be happening. Basically, what that means is that it's always going to cost us something. Patience is what happens when things are going slower than we want them to, and we have to make a decision. Are we going to move on? Are we going to give up? Are we going to be done? Or are we going to hang in there? And and the desire to hang in there, the willingness to say, I'm not going to be done, I'm going to not move on, is when we show patience. We, we do it in relationships with people when we say this uh, has gone far enough, right? Um, I'm tired of the way this person is being. I'm, I'm tired of the fact that I'm not seeing anything in this friendship or in this relationship. They keep doing the same things over and over again, right? Uh, we do it with people that we work with. We do it with people that we go to church with where we say, I'm sick of them. I'm done with them, right? It's hard to show patience. We, we have a difficulty because we say, there's only so much time that I have that I'm going to be alive, uh, at least in this life. And, uh, and so I don't think that I'm supposed to just hang in there. In fact, to do that is essentially to give up. This is the biggest mistake that we make when it comes to being patient and being kind, is we think that both of these things, they're obvious things. I, I am not blowing your mind with new information that you should be patient and you should be kind to people. That if uh, you love people, you will. Now, unfortunately, we've learned this at an early age, be patient and kind, and we've just decided, okay, there are some people in my life that I'm gonna be patient and kind with. That's how it's gonna work because there's only some people that I can love. Maybe those are people in my family. Those are the people that I really like, my close friends. But what Paul's talking about here is to the whole church. And he's saying, the group has just gotten a whole lot bigger because like you said last week, you've gone from being one to being a part of something, to being a member of this larger body. And because of that, the people that you now are gonna have to show patience to. It's like a much bigger group. It's this group of believers that you're sharing life with. And so we learn these things and, you know, we think they're pretty clear, but why don't we do them? The reason most of us don't is because we think that these things, patience and kindness, are ultimately passive. What that means is they don't actually do anything. The biggest mistake we make about the sort of the way of love is that that's what the way of love is. It is a passive way of approaching things. That to be patient and to be kind is the same as giving up. I'm not going to get something done. This isn't going to accomplish something. Uh, Basically, it just means I have to not care anymore. And I don't know how to do that. And isn't it when you love someone, you, you don't do these things where you just say, oh, well, more time can go by. Oh, well, I can let them keep doing that thing. I can let that keep happening. I can go on even if things haven't changed. We make the mistake of thinking that the way of love is passive, and it's not. It actually is a way. It is a road that takes us somewhere and leads us somewhere. But because of the way it works, it's really frustrating. You see, we, we love people knowing 
that it is not a passive thing, but we don't love people simply because of what it will accomplish. Like I said, it's easy to take all the things that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. You could write a secular book on them. You can give them to people, say, do these things, your life will be better, you'll accomplish better things. I've heard, I've heard sermons on 1 Corinthians 13 that are all about how if we are patient enough, if we are kind enough, if we forgive enough, if we hope enough, then it will lead to these great things in our relationships and in our lives. The only problem is, is it not true that some of the people that we love the most those are relationships that we struggle to see how they're in a good place, that we struggle to see how being loving leads us where we want to go. The Bible shows us that, that, that patience is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. We read in, uh, I, I think in Thessalonians, um, uh, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians. I'll put the slide up here. Um, it's uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 13, and 14. This is towards the end um, when, um, when the author of Thessalonians is kind of giving some final words of encouragement and advice on how to live with believers. And he says this, he says, be at peace amongst yourselves. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Okay, so if there's people among you who are, who are idle, who are lazy, who are not doing anything, admonish them, get on them. Tell them to get into gear. Tell them to get going. Don't just let them be idle encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage is to like proactively think of things that you can say and that you can do for someone who is discouraged. Encouragement isn't just, you know, be yourself, be nice, and don't be their enemy. Encouragement is like a thing that you have to put some effort into. And he's saying, so do it. Encourage those who are faint-hearted, right? He says, help the weak. There are weak people amongst you. Help them proactively. Do it. Make it happen in your community. But then he says, be patient with all of them. So with all of these people that you're, that you're trying to help, that you're trying to bring along in some way, that you're trying to invest in with where they're at, some of them need a kick in the pants. Some of them need some grace. Some of them just need some encouragement, right? Some of them just need some mercy because they're weak and they're beat down. But all of these people need patience. Your patience is part of you helping them. It's not just uh, another word for choosing not to do anything or to care about them. We see it in the way that God works with us. We read about this in 2 Peter. Uh, in 2 Peter, there's a lot being talked about that has to do with the fact that the people of God feel like he's made all these promises to them that like he's going to come back and the suffering's going to end and things are going to be good. Uh, you know, this is, this is something that in ministry, from the very first year that I was doing it, uh, I began to, at least probably once a year, I'd have a conversation with somebody where they'd come to my office, we'd talk, we'd sit down, they'd say, they'd say, look at the Bible, look at what is happening in the world clearly this is the end times, right? And, and each, each year I would have that conversation with somebody and each year there's compelling evidence why. People sometimes think pastors are cynical because they think that pastors are like, you know, it's not as, not as urgent to them. And it's like, no, that's not the case. It's just, that, it's just that this is something that's been happening for a while because there is a sense of urgency um, in the Bible as well. And so the people of God, as they were suffering, they were asking this question like, where is God? What about the promises of God? I thought he was gonna bring us home. I thought he was gonna reward us for these things. And this is what's said to them in 2 Peter. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patience towards us is perceived by us as God doing nothing 
as God not following through on his promise. And the people are like, come on, God, uh, don't you want to show us that you, that you mean what you say? Then, then let's make something happen here. Come back, get us. Let's get on with the next part. It's supposed to be better than this part. And what he says is God's patience is there for a reason because he desires that not a single would be lost, that more people would be reached. We're like, ah, I don't really care about the other people being reached. I've been reached. I just want to go, right? Well, it's about more than you. So even God's patience, we see, is meant to accomplish something. Again, this way of love that we're called to do is not a passive thing. We're not called to be a group of people who are just nice and then nothing ever happens. We're called to live this way because of what it does. But the thing that we ask ourselves is if it accomplishes anything, if, if patience and kindness alone, just take those two things, are examples of, 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 of ways that God accomplishes and does things. If, if, if this is an active thing that we do, not a passive thing, then why in the world does it feel like patience is just giving up? Why does it feel like kindness is just choosing now to not care and to be nice anymore? Why does it feel like every time I want to see something happen, Patience and kindness are the enemy of that thing. It's because while the way of love is not a passive one, it is a very, very windy road. Uh, the, the way of love is not a straight road. See, we talk about roads a lot when we talk about Scripture. It's a good way to understand what the Bible talks about. When we were in James, we talked a lot about wisdom, and, and, uh, and the Proverbs tell us that wisdom, the path of the wise man, it's always a straight path. And what that means is that if you, objectively speaking, if you apply some wisdom to your life, you're not going to fall in as many holes. You're not going to go down as many dead ends. You're not going to uh, find yourself in as many difficult situations because wisdom means you actually do uh, make fewer foolish mistakes. You would be a fool to say, ah, that's good. I'm just going to learn the hard way with everything okay, good luck with that. Uh, apply a little bit of wisdom and you'd be surprised how much easier it gets. So, so the character, it characterizes the life of a wise person as being a straighter path, uh, fraught with less like, oh man, where am I going? What am I doing? Oh gosh, okay, I gotta change. I gotta, uh, I'm making backwards two steps back this time. That's not the life of a wise person. But the, the way that we're called to love one another and what you see that look like in the Bible especially when God is loving his people, is you see this road is a very, very windy one. Uh, it's, like, it's like a road going through a mountain that has just got constant curves and turns. You're like, could this literally not be the longest, most like, uh, you know, stomach churning way to get from point A to point B? There's gotta be a better way to get from point A to point B than this road that we're on. Can I not just get a truck with some bigger tires and just get off of this thing and go straight through? The way of love is not that way. And the difficulty with it is that when we choose to love each other, when we choose to live this way, we're making a choice to stay on a road that we know will be longer, that we know will be fraught with more turns, that we know will be frustrating and will require, first and foremost, patience because we're gonna to wanna to get off of it. It will require kindness, because we're gonna to wanna to get off of it. Man, is there anything that has shown us like our limits when it comes to patience and kindness than 
COVID and quarantine? I mean, my goodness, right? No example needed. This is where I'll save time on the sermons. Just think about your life right now. There you go. You got everything you need, right? I mean, we're talking about people who have like been married and had a great relationship and all of a sudden you're working together in your house. We're talking about, you know, you're a great parent. Everything's going good. Now you're homeschooling. Uh, we're talking about like you're a, you're a working parent and you just figured that balance out and things are starting to feel normal. And then what do I have to do here? And, uh, and, and, and you've got every, and then well, let's throw in an election. Who knows, right? Well, that, that'll require some patience, right? Um, I mean, my goodness, right? Well, okay, fine. Uh, we'll just sit on our computers all day. I'm sure we'll handle the be- election better that way, right? Uh, turns out not so much, right? Uh, we've known that for a while. I mean, the, the amount of, of being pushed to the limit that we all feel is just, it is incredible. Everybody I talk to is like, my goodness, like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with these people in my life, what I'm going to do with these relationships in my life. I mean, like, how, how, uh, how many of you have, like, had a conversation with a person, and they're, like, upset with you, and you're thinking to yourself, like, it's not me you're mad at. It's, like, the coronavirus that you're mad at, right? It's like, I mean, I know if you're like a waiter at a restaurant, you've had that conversation. You're like, yeah, I didn't, I, I don't, this isn't me, you know? And it's like, well, you know, I think you could probably still be doing a little bit better, you know, with it. So there, you know, or whatever, I don't know. Because uh, that's how we are, right? And I mean, we've been pushed to the limit. And, and, and in doing that, we constantly go, you know, okay, when this all started, I was ready to be patient. I was ready to be kind. I was ready to be loving towards the people around me. But uh, we're, we're pretty much done with all of that, right? I don't think I can stay on that road anymore. And so we think uh, there's got to be some road I could hop onto that's going to get me somewhere else a little bit quicker. And uh, we don't necessarily find that road, Right? It's kind of like you get off road and you're like, I'm sure there's a better path somewhere. And then you just get lost in the woods and you're like, oh man, now, I don't, now I'm not on any road. Well, at least I don't have to do that, right? Because that was what was killing me. That was what was frustrating. And then it takes you long enough to realize, wait, at least I was on a road at that point. At least we were going somewhere. Because this is what happens to people who cannot uh, love others uh, one of the characteristics of that is you just, like, you just like eliminate people and relationships in your life one after another. And then you find yourself with no people and with no relationships. You may know somebody like that. And it's kind of like, well, okay, maybe there weren't as many people in the world as I thought there were. I don't know. Because that's, that's what you do. You go like, oh, there's billions of people. There's got to be better ones. You know, it's like, nope, actually, they, sometimes they, you do that, they get worse. You're like, oh, I'm going to go back here. You know, this wasn't quite so bad, right? This thing that we're called to do, to be patient, to be kind, these are obvious things, right? I don't even have to talk about what kindness is. We all know what kindness is. It's a relative thing, actually. There are only two reasons why you're not kind to somebody. One is you think there's something more important than being kind to them. There's that. There's like, hey, listen, sorry, but, you know, uh, this is more important than your feelings. This is more important than being nice to you, sorry, than being kind to you. Uh, the other reason we do it is we just don't realize we're doing it. We do it inadvertently, right? Hence those famous sayings like, uh, that's not what I meant, right? I, I didn't mean to make you feel that way, right? Um, or even better, uh, don't be so sensitive, right? That's a good one. That's a good one. That usually works really well, right? 
I'm tired, I'm stressed, I just don't have the energy to like pay attention to how everything is making you or everybody feel, right? This thing is bigger than just your feelings, than just us, than just our family, than just the way that I'm treating you, right? I mean, kindness is a thing that we all know basically what that is. Uh, the issue is it feels like there are times when we just can't do it. Times that we're just pushed too far and, 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 and we're not thinking about doing it and there are other things that are more important. Uh, I think the biggest thing uh, that most of us can do in an effort to try to be kind to other people is simply this. We just take more responsibility. That's the key to kindness, I think, is to say, like, I'm more responsible for the way that you feel than I would like to believe, right? I, I realized this a few years ago with, uh, with this thing called the internet. I would like, you know, kind of put something on the internet or whatever and somebody get mad at me and talk about it. I'd be like, I, I, I can't control how you feel. How am I supposed to know how that would make you feel? And the problem is I'm like kind of self-aware. So I'd be like thinking in the back of my mind, I totally knew. It's actually Ellie. Usually Ellie will be like, you know, well, but you knew that they would feel that way. You knew that people would say that. I, I told you not to say that, remember? And then you were like, I was like, I don't remember that, but uh, okay, if you say so, right? Uh, no, I told you not to say that because I said, this is how it makes people feel, right? And I'm like, well, fine, I should be able to say it anyway. Okay, fine, but don't say that, like, it, it's not my fault I didn't know. The fact is, uh, if we were able to take more responsibility for the way that our actions do make people feel, I think that we're so uh, quick to uh, detach um, the way that we make people feel from our own actions and our own culpability. And yes, of course, there's ways that people can like abuse this stuff and people can be like, oh, you know, it's, it's and so we can't really get into that because, you know, people abuse it, of course, because that's what people do with love. Is, and we go, well, that stinks. Yeah, it's a long road. It's a windy road. It's not a direct path to where we want to go. I think that if we were willing to take more responsibility for things that, that we say, the way that we treat one another, and the way that it makes the people around us feel, I think that we would be able to be more patient and more kind with other people. You know, I mean... I don't know, you could apply this to an election season. I'll let you guys do that yourselves, right? All I'll say is this. I don't think God's up there going like, uh, yeah, oh, oh, it's an, it's an election year. Okay, you no, know, it's fine. That's more important. Yeah, okay, fine, go on. Just say that stuff and be that way. No, that's fine. You're right. It's more important, right? I don't, I don't really think that that's the case. And so what am I saying? Am I saying that, like, that, that, uh, that it's about the point that you're making. It's about the conviction that you have. It's about the candidate that you support. No, I'm, I'm talking about the way that you see that long and windy road and say, how am I supposed to stay on this road and continue to love people? Well, the only way to do that is probably going to be along the way, letting go of some other things and saying, I am needing to make a choice here not on what I believe or how I feel, but the way that I am with these people in my life. Am I able to stay on that road even though it's a difficult one? 
Everyone agrees that people should be patient, people should be kind, but for the Christian, these things are supposed to be a priority over everything else. Patience is not important. It is more important. Uh, Kindness is not just important. It's more important than the other thing. Um, I am a uh, kind of, I'll keep this open because I don't know all the, all the details on this thing, but um, I'm kind of into history. It's one of the reasons we probably needed to take a break on Acts. It's getting a little too into history. And um, the, uh, one of the things that I really enjoy is reading about things like the sort of the beginning of our nation and things like the Revolutionary War. And if you know much about the Revolutionary War, you might know that probably one of the greatest logistical feats Uh, The greatest logistical feat of the Revolutionary War was something called the Knox Expedition. Uh, It was shortly after uh, General George Washington took over, um, and uh, Boston had been taken by the British, and we were outside of Boston, several miles outside of Boston, American forces and revolutionary forces, and were disheartened by the fact that we had a a pretty pretty rough, uh, rough around the edges kind of, a, kind of a military force that we had put together. But we also couldn't take back Boston, and we really wanted to take back Boston. And, uh, and so this guy, Edward Knox, good name, he came to, he was 25 years old, he was a bookseller, and he came to George Washington, they were friends, and he said, listen, there's a place called Fort Ticonderoga, it's 300 miles away from Boston, and if we can take that place over from the British, it won't be that hard, it doesn't seem like that great of a place, like it's super strategic, but they have a lot of artillery there. And George Washington goes, well, there's a little problem. Uh, This is 1775, I think, um, and uh, that's 300 miles away. So how would you get... uh, 60 tons of artillery, cannons and mortars and things like that, 300 miles in the middle of winter right now. And he said, I'll do it. I'll get it done. And he said, okay. So he took the fort and Knox went there. George Washington sent him. And it is one of the greatest things to read about in this battle, in this war, because he spent the next three months traveling 300 miles in the winter. The plan was to build 42 rafts and to first float this artillery, most of which uh, was around a ton, but the, the biggest stuff weighed five tons. And they had 42 pieces of artillery that they had to get down first waterways. They said the first day was a good day. Every other day was bad after that. The second day, they hit a rock and sunk and almost sunk and barely got the thing to shore, patched up the raft and kept going, right? Uh, they, they traveled along water as far as they could and then they built sleds um, and they traveled, the plan was to travel across snow. Uh, but they needed snow and they didn't have any snow. So then they had to wait in winter for snow to come. And then snow finally came and they began to push these things along and pull them along. This is sheer manpower. They used some horses, they used oxen, but they could only use them so far because eventually they encountered uh, frozen rivers and uh, they would punch holes in the river so that more water would come up and it would freeze even thicker. Somehow that's a thing, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and they made it across the frozen river, but just towards the end, uh, one of the pieces of artillery fell in and sunk to the bottom. Did they leave it? No. Edward Knox said, well, let's take a day and get a bunch of locals and let's get this thing up from the bottom of the river. So they did because he said, I told George Washington I was going to bring these things and I'm going to bring them to George Washington. 
Then they get to mountain peaks. They have to get up over mountain peaks. And they have to pull through manpower these pieces of artillery over these peaks. And then they get to the problem of the other side of the peak. They're like, uh-oh, this thing's going down too fast. So they've got to tie chains and ropes around trees and all kinds of other stuff to just slow the descent of these, the ascent, the descent of these things. People were quitting. And he would have to have these huge arguments and debates with groups of his workers in the middle of like snowy peaks to say, keep going. I don't know where they're going to go, you know, like otherwise, but he had to convince them. And then finally, he showed up with the artillery. He showed up 20 miles outside of Boston, and they said it was one of the greatest feats of the Revolutionary War. And it was because of his ability to get these people to endure this impossibly difficult road that they had to endure. And this is what it's like when you read history and you realize how spoiled we are because they didn't have all these inventions back then. And so you read about the way people did these things and you're like, I mean, I am lazy and I am a quitter. And so I read this stuff and I'm like, just when they're getting out the idea, I'm like, yeah, no, no way. No way. I would have just been like, yeah. And that, yeah. Exactly, and I think what you, what you see, and, and it's what they ended up saying about George Knox. They made him the, 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 the general of the, of the war cabinet, and he, he received, like the head of the cabinet, and he received this wonderful position because it wasn't the workers that were with him, and it certainly wasn't, I mean, they, here's the funny thing. They've like commemorated the route as like the Knox uh, Trail or something. Yeah, that's not because it's like an easy path to go on. I would not take that path. If someone said, if you heard about it, like, that's the last one I'm going to take. Because the whole point is that this man had so many backup plans, and he said, we're going to get this artillery from here to here. They took Boston with the artillery. The British had no idea that we had this stuff and we demolished them with it and took Boston back. We ended up coming to an agreement and they said that they would leave the city. Um, we would let them leave if they promised not to burn it down. And so we let them leave and they didn't burn the city. You know, I read about things like this in history and I really am just like astounded by the things that people do when they put their minds to it. And I'm astounded by what's come of it right? The truth is uh, uh, great things do take a tremendous amount of perseverance, but the people who persevere don't do so knowing that the great thing is going to happen. <laughs> they do so knowing that the path that they're on is the right one, and that what they're pursuing is worth pursuing, and that even if it doesn't go where they want, it is still where their time should go. As we talk about love and as we talk about patience and kindness with each other, we're not talking about new information. What we're talking about is, more than anything, we are being reminded of the fact that we are choosing each and every day that we get up, am I going to stay on this road that is so windy I just want to pull over because I'm getting car sick? I just want to get off the path and find a better way. Maybe some of you have gotten off the path and you wandered around in the wilderness of like nothingness before you realized after years, there isn't another way. This is the way to be on. People do this in church, right? We just leave, right? We, we divorce ourselves from relationships. We leave one small group, go to another. We leave one church, go to another. It's very easy to do that now. We do that because we go, oh no, the path is too difficult. It's too hard. I'm sure there are better people somewhere. I'm sure it's easier somewhere, right? We find that it's not. We do this with people in our family. We do this with relationships. 
And the truth is to be loving, to love is to be patient and it is to be kind. But when we do that and life gets really difficult and it feels like we're losing valuable time, that doesn't mean that we're doing the wrong thing. And it doesn't mean that we've given up and it's gonna feel that way. And I think that's the key. When it feels like, am I just giving up here? Am I not caring? Am I just taking the easy way out? No, I'm choosing to love someone. And sometimes, most of the time, that looks an awful lot like not going very far very quickly. But it's still the right road to be on and it will get us there. Let's pray. Father, the truth is that when we talk about what it means to love others and to be patient and kind, we don't do it because we have the ability to do it. We don't do it because we are these great people who can rise to the challenge, God. Um, we attempt to love other people because you first loved us, God. So would you overwhelm us with a sense of the mercy you have shown us, the patience that you have shown us. As I talk to people, I, am, I see again and again, time and again, I, I see the way that we just look at our own lives and say, it's because of how patient God has been with me. It is because of how kind God has been with me that I must be that way with others. To not be that way is to live as a hypocrite, Lord. Would you help us see it that way, God? It's in your name we pray, amen.